Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. Today is Wednesday, March 3rd, and this is episode 83, and boy, do we have a great episode for you guys today. First, I'm going to be joined by Big Dog and Josh Bilker to talk about J.J. Watt signing with the Cardinals, Lloyd Pierce being fired by the Hawks, the top five NBA players we've seen since 2000, as well as our own Pineapple Couch NBA All-Star Draft. Then later in the program, I'm joined by Peter Gonzalez to talk about episode eight of WandaVision. So spoilers if you're not caught up. And we'll also give out our theories of what we think will happen in the finale that comes out this Thursday night. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel um, because of the WandaVision recaps we actually put out about 24 hours before we put them out on the pod on the YouTube channel. So be sure to check us out on the YouTube channel at The Pineapple Couch with B-Rob, as well as subscribing or following us on whatever podcast platform you are listening to. Thank you to all our listeners. Let's get into the show. Couch episode 83. I'm joined by Josh and Andrew. We're going to be talking a little JJ Watt, a little NBA, doing some top five players you've seen in the NBA. So basically since like 2000. And then as well as we're going to be drafting each our own teams among the NBA All Stars from this season. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listening. And a reminder you can check us out on YouTube as well. Let's get into it, boys. Big Dog, how you doing, my friend? I am fantastic today. That's good to hear. Josh, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm fantastic. It's it's uh it's raining today, so that's Ooh. I I really like the rain mm-hmm. to be honest. So it's like the gray skies. It's fun. That's uh that's good. I'm a, I'm a fan of the rain too. The sun sometimes gets a little too much for me, and I like the <laughs> darkness and to hide in the shadows. I feel that, Josh. Um, let's get into our first <laughs> topic today, guys. Uh, JJ Watt signs with the Cardinals. Pretty big deal. I believe it was around twenty three million. Um, and obviously. This is a huge move because, one, it's making the NFC West even more stacked, especially when you think about all the dominant defensive line players that are already in the NFC West, from Nick Bosa to Aaron Donald to Chandler Jones. Now you throw in J.J. Watt. Russell Wilson still doesn't have an offensive line, so that will be interesting for sure. But um, I wanted to ask you guys, I'll start with you, Big Dog. What team do you think is under the most pressure for this upcoming season in NFC West? Because if you think about it, the Rams just got Stafford. The Niners are coming back healthy, you would presume. Seahawks obviously in some hot water with Russell Wilson, and now the Cardinals going a year older, adding some players. What do you think? So you said it first. It's the Rams still because they traded a bunch of more draft picks for another quarterback right after they just did that with Jared Goff. They went all in with Jalen Ramsey. They don't have a future for drafting. Um, I think by far they're in like the most win-now state because the Cardinals, they can win the next two or three years with Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Russell Wilson. As long as he's there, you can win. Matt Stafford, we don't really know if he's like a winning quarterback. And I think their window is much shorter because they don't have they won't have the depth as mm-hmm. other teams very soon. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like ever since, uh, what, when was it? They made the Super Bowl, and was that 2019, 2018? Yeah, 18 against the... So ever since that season, dude, they've been going all in every year. Yeah, and it's not working, and they are really running out of time. So this is their final, maybe, um, putting it all in, all cards on the table. Josh, what are you thinking about this? 
Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with Andrew um, just based on th- this is the roster they're going to have pretty much. There's not really much flexibility they can do with the Rams. But um, I, I, I think the Seahawks are arguably – I'm going to make the case for them as well because, again, all this Russell uh, – gaff i guess we can call it in this offseason so far is just going to be amplified with another dominant pass rusher in uh, arizona as you said earlier so it's just going to be a continuous thing where it's just i don't know i don't see russell really getting sacked less unless there's like major major changes to this offensive line so i think they have to fix that first and keep their quarterback happy if they want to stay even relevant in the next three or four years yeah, and I think I agree with both points you guys make, and I think there's honestly an argument you could make for basically every team in this division being under the most pressure besides Arizona. I don't think Arizona's under as much pressure because, like Andrew mentioned, uh, you got young Kyler Murray, so you're going to be around for a bit longer than, say, like Russell Wilson, who's a little older. Um, I'm going to make an argument for the 49ers because – there's who knows what they're going to do with Jimmy G. They're saying they're bringing him back. This team was in the Super Bowl a year ago. And Andrew, do you remember how freaking dominant that team was defensively and offensively? And this is kind of a lot of pressure on them to say, like, to kind of come back because they were gone last year due to injuries. And in the meantime, the NFC West has only gotten stronger. So there is a lot of pressure on this 49ers team, I think to figure it out and maybe it's not pressure on them necessarily like hey like obviously they want to win it all but maybe not as much pressure to win it all as the Rams but maybe there's a lot of pressure on them to figure out what the hell they're doing at the quarterback position because what's up with Watson anyone know no I I they're they're even more hush hush I think now in uh in Texas with um with it it's really weird they they've actually stopped taking calls for Watson's trade offers now where teams have been leaving voicemails mm-hmm. reportedly. Watson, so if it's, Watson it's, leaves, it's all fucked. It's the decision. It's that big of a mm-hmm. deal. That if Watson That's the, like the biggest quarterback left and then like potentially Aaron Rodgers, which I don't think we think mm-hmm. is going to happen. No, I mean cuz Wentz what? is gone, Stafford's gone. Mm-hmm. And like I don't think Russell Wilson's really available. I don't think so either. So but... if they actually do trade Deshaun Watson, this, that just massively changes the landscape of the NFL and free agency and how kind of like player empowerment, like in the NBA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that NFC West is going to be an absolute war zone next year. And Josh, to your credit, that Seahawks offensive line is maybe the thing I'm most worried about in that entire division. I guess also the 49ers quarterback play could be put there as well. <laughs> um, Josh, other story that came out this week. Lloyd Pierce fired by the Hawks. I believe this was in the middle of his second year or in the middle of his third year. Third year. Okay. Third year. Yeah. It's um. It, I I kind of it's kind of a shame because he was kind of a, a figure. It seems like in the Atlanta community for uh for the last couple of years, especially during all the social justice movement. So it's a shame to see a guy that seems to be like a a, a very very mm-hmm. quality human being to be to be kind of thrown under the bus and for this roster that really isn't his fault did, I think. to quickly jump in this is a young roster correct yeah he's yeah. a no-nonsense but, type guy too which that team if you've ever watched the hawks holy shit that is what they need they play terrible defense mm-hmm. they've been massively um they've underperformed this year a great deal i didn't even think they were going to be that good and i also think lloyd pierce is kind of getting the short end of the stick because how in the hell 
looking back on it, the Rondo deal they signed this offseason, Chris Dunn, Danilo Gallinari, they did not put that that team is not very good. And when well, Trey Young's not on they, the floor, they have they no barely one else who can create played a shot. together. Too. They've barely played together, and that's so. That's I don't see how you can even blame the coach for that. If if the the guys that the GM signed, Travis, I think this is most mostly on Travis Schlenk, yeah, um, who tried to create. I I joked about it in a text, but they really did try to create uh, Golden State East here with Trey Young with, and um, Kevin Ware. With Trey Young and and exactly, they they thought John Collins was their Draymond Green, which is laughable. I, I like John Collins a lot, but but yeah, he's, he's terrible defensively. He's like, yeah, so he's got a good uh, handle and a good touch. I guess is the, is the one thing. But like other than that, I I don't see how you can expect the defense mm-hmm. to fill in. And that's the guy they're probably going to let go of next potentially is John Collins if they trade him in the offseason or in restricted free agency or before the deadline. Um, but to me, this is this is totally on the roster. This um, is on Trey uh, Young, in my opinion. I don't think you well, can build a team around Trey Young. I don't Let think me, I am I am as anti Trey Young as you could possibly be. Go ahead, Josh. I, and I don't blame you. From what you've seen so far, I agree. But see, the thing is, I, I think it's more the treatment of the organization to Trey Young is more at fault in that they've given him the keys this early to everything, and he's good, of course. But they're he's they're cocky. treating him like he's exactly they're treating him like he's Steph Curry or even Luka Doncic. That's why Brian hates him. <laughs> and. And I don't the like thing the Steph is, Curry like, comparisons. It really annoys me because it's just like you're I'm, I'm under, understandable, but th- yeah, that's like he's he's probably the his teammates most and him don't infamous. get along. That's the other thing too. Like but again, I think it, I think it all stems back to the fact that they they let him kind of run the show on like all from for all I've seen is the thing is is they let him. Is he twenty two? I think he's twenty one. I thought he I went thought to he was, no 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 never mind never mind never mind never mind you're right I'll look up his age to be sure but again I I just think that they've they do need some guy to come in and say like you gotta fucking play defense dude like you 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 can do way better he is 22 Andrew you're you're right actually. Jesus he, yeah he's he's so been there age. a while feels like yeah it's I, his third year actually I thought it was his second year for in my head but yet yeah, you're right it was the same same year as Luca and it's a shame because anything compared to Luca is just well the thing Trey Young he's a great offensive player I'm not taking that away but there is an element of his game where he's the type of guy it's almost like Russell Westbrook-esque even though they have completely different body types of where after a game Trey Young will be like oh I had 13 assists or whatever and it's like okay but you just control the ball for every last giving second. And I just don't think him as the key cog of your offense wins you a championship. And you say, oh, well, Steph Curry did it. One, they're different players. And Steph doesn't hold onto the ball like that. And he moves it around. Josh, go. Well, I'd also say that Steph Curry did it in what his like seventh, eighth season with the Warriors too. I mean, so Trey Young's still incredibly young before I think we can completely condemn him as this is the guy he's going to be. But I, I, I agree, he needs to change and something needs to happen. But I, I had a question. So would you, would you rather keep John Collins like on this in this team? Like if you, if you had to, right? Then Trey so Young build your team around. Yeah. No, you. Uh, no, I would keep Trey Young over okay. John Collins. I, I, I wasn't sure how low you were on Trey no, Young. No, the thing is, is Trey Young is like, he is good. And it's just, I am low on him in the way where it's like, he is just good enough to where he will have the offense be about him. But that won't get you to that next echelon. Kind of like Westbrook. Andrew, does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Makes sense. Okay. I just, th- I think you just got to give him just a little bit more time. No. I think, I think Luca. 
Luca's like a really tough case because he's he's the exact. I think he is everything we thought he was going to be, and in, in more into into what he is so far in his career. I think young point guards historically are just not mm-hmm. very good immediately out the gate and contribute to winning basketball right away. Trey Young's better than I thought he was going to be. I will admit that. So, so maybe five years from now, he could, he gets better at defense, tries a little harder, goes through the lumps. I, I just as of right now, I. I guess it's more of like you, I think Lloyd Pierce got screwed over. <laughs> like I think so too. He he actually thought he was going to get fired though. Is what I was I forgot to mention too. Is like last week or two weeks ago he had like an interview with the Atlantic and um, mentioned something about how he's probably out the door basically already because of uh, because of expectations because they went out and fucking spent the bag basically on Gallinari, Rondo, and uh, uh, Bogdanovich who hasn't even fucking played oh, either. Yeah. Um, so. And and now with uh, DeAndre Hunter also hurt now too, it's 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 severely impacted him. But mm-hmm. a lot of people are complaining about his late game um, antics. I guess as a coach, where he just kind of never seems to be doing the right thing, and late game collapses or just yeah, it's, it's it's usually indicative. Yeah, exactly. It's mm-hmm. usually indicative of some kind of coaching. But it still is a shame. Looks like Nate McMillan is going to be brought on as the interim coach, um, who they hired in the off season once mm-hmm. he got let go from Indiana. So as far we'll as interim coaches go, he's a damn good one. Nate McMillan's good. I agree, and and it's gonna look good once this roster gets back to to health to to mm-hmm. a healthy state. It's it's gonna look like it's a smart move, but I I still think Lloyd Pierce. I hope he gets another job because he like I said, he seems like a good guy and a good coach. I just think he kind of got fucked over by being paired up with Trey Young and and a pretty young roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, next segment I want to do. It's got pretty controversial last time we did it with Josh's Tom Brady take. Um, we are going to be doing the top five players that we've seen in the NBA. So, folks, keep in mind, I was born in 1996. So, Jordan won his last title when I was two. For the purpose of this conversation, he will not be in it. So, it's basically post-2000s is how I would look at it. And so, we're each going to take turns. We're going to each go from five to one and talk about the five best players we've seen in our lives in the NBA, basically the last 20 or so years. And yeah, who wants to go first? I will go first. I'll go first. Right, okay, go I will first. go first. I'm just kidding, Big Dog, you go for it. I, at number five, one of my personal favorites, mid-2000s, really his prime, Mr. Dirk Nowitzki, mm. power forward of the Dallas Mavericks. I like that. What do you boys think? I like Dirk. Um, he was, I considered him. I ended up putting a... I remember him more than Shaq and Duncan, honestly. Okay. That's that. I mean, the big 2011 finals run. Two. I mean, where he just... That was awesome. Um, I'll jump in. I have Duncan at five. Duncan, just the consistency. Obviously, I, I don't... I, I would put Shaq, but I mean, the beginning... The Shaq on the Magic, early Shaq Lakers. I was so young. So with Duncan, it was just like he just did everything right. He was the perfect franchise player. He was incredibly clutch, and I just remember him beating the shit out of those LeBron Heat teams on one leg at the end of his career, and he was just so freaking good and consistent. So I have Duncan at five. Josh? Yeah, I uh, I have Shaq here. It was it was really tough between Duncan and Shaq to me at five. Um, I just feel like at his best, I, I feel like Shaq was more dominant than Tim Duncan was during his best years, I think, in, in the sample size, where Shaq was like a 30-16 and 16 guy for, for like multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I mean, he completely changed the, the landscape of the league. And what, him and Kobe were the 
the two players I remember the most from like early, early on. I mean, like, Shaq, you can make the argument Shaq's the most dominant, like one of the most dominant players we've ever seen. I think the most dominant would probably be like Wilt, but it depends on how you look at that. <laughs> um, we've not, we definitely haven't seen him though. So to you, big dog, who do you got at four? And before you just said it, Josh, I'm going Mr. Kobe Bryant here. Number four. Number four. It's a little low. It's a little low. And it, yeah. Well, this I is mean, who I I've seen all the time, Josh. Sure. I started watching basketball in 2009, really. Ah, that's a good point. Okay. Good point. Right. Good point right. to big dog. <laughs> um, I, I, at four, I can't really say shit. I, I fucking completely ruined this last week. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm no, just start it again. Stay. Just start talking again. <laughs> okay. I have at four, the jersey behind me, I have Mr. Stephen Curry. Uh, just in ter- wow. from terms of an offensive perspective, he has completely changed the NBA for me. Sometimes I'm kind of pissed off at change because there's too many goddamn threes. But I mean, he's, yeah, he he birthed Trey Young. He's, so you, you, he's up yeah. there with Kobe and Durant in terms of just such skill on the offensive end. He's a two-time MVP, three-time champion. I don't know if we're he's just the way he can shoot. I don't know if we ever see something like that again. We see stuff that's similar to it, but when you just see this year has been such a great reminder of how freaking dominant he was. And is so I have Curry at four. Josh, who you got it for? I have, I have Curry as well. <laughs> I have Curry here. Um, I yeah, I've just never seen a shooter, a shoot like a straight shooter, be as dominant as Steph Curry is to completely just warp the court like he is. He still is the leader of the seventy three and nine team, the best NBA record uh, in a, in a regular season ever, mm-hmm. and that's incredible. That MVP season is was historic. He he's his efficiency was off the charts, and honestly, this season has been pretty fucking close to that. So mm-hmm. he's still, with no clay, <laughs> he's still the fucking it, with no clay on top of that, and Draymond at a reduced level mm-hmm. too on top of that. Uh, yeah, Steph Curry is one of the best players I've ever seen. He's, mm-hmm. he's fantastic. Uh, big dog to you at three. So at number three, I can't believe I'm saying this. Not Brian. I have Steph Curry at three. He is the third biggest inspiration i guess in basketball same reason you guys said i mean he literally everyone shoots like 53s as a team now and then everyone's trying to shoot 45 foot threes Mm. so and then the hawks try to draft someone who shoots deep threes in college and think it's steph curry because of steph curry Mm -hmm. no definitely that uh i thought when i said curry at four andrew you made a face i was like wow he doesn't have curry in the top five i'm a little hurt but i respect it at three um for me it was i had him at four because the the guys I have one through three, as great as Curry is, and as much as I love him, just almost a different, like, just a different kind of, uh, a different just type of player, a different, like, level, I would say. Um, but, jo- oh, I'm on three now. I'm up. Yeah. I have Kevin Durant. The best, uh, I it's hard. It's like, I want to say he's the best pure scorer I've ever seen, I think. he The way he can score and pull up and just do everything and how big he is. He is mesmerizing to watch, and I do think even though he only missed, I guess, a season last year, it sucks so much that he got hurt because he was at the peak of his powers, and we're, he's going to get back there this year, I think, in the playoffs, but um, Kevin Durant, I have at numero three. Josh? This is kind of boring, but yeah, I also have Durant at three. I bet our top two are going to be <laughs> different. I just have a, have a feeling <laughs> in my mind. Um, but uh, yeah, I have Durant here. I, I think he's he. I, I'm going to say it, I think he is the best pure scorer I've ever seen. I I would I would say that definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he. They actually the Warriors win that title 
with a healthy Durant in uh, 2019. Oh yeah, because that that Raptors even team a healthy Clay. Yeah, exactly. I, I that that Raptors team was kind of on its last legs. Kawhi was kind of breaking down a little bit, but they were still still phenomenal. Of course, Kyle Lowry like, balled out. He did for sure. Um, but Durant was just on. That was the best I've seen Durant. I think play where he mm-hmm. dropped fifty on the Clippers in round one. Yeah, he was just a fucking menace. And um, the level of defense, like at defense, he was playing on those Warriors team when he kind of was playing like a little five four a lot. It was incredible. And that's why I'm still super optimistic about the Nets' chances this season is because of Durant's defensive capabilities still is is absurd. And I think they, they should honestly probably, with what we've seen, is still probably the favorite for the title this year. Yeah. Uh, Durant, Durant at three. Especially Absolutely. with the AD injury. Uh, Big Dog, mm-hmm. what do you got at two? We're going to wrap around this snake draft. Kevin Durant, the second best player I've ever seen for the same reason you guys just said. Seven-footer who can shoot <laughs> defense. Wait, can everything. you just repeat everything we just said? I will repeat everything you guys just said. <laughs> well, just we because if you guys don't know who least. Kevin Durant is. No, no. I, the height, I was I'm but, just giving you shit, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Have you thought about, like, because you know, like, all the, like, I wonder how much, like, the stats are going to be affected. Well, I guess they didn't have a shortened season in, like, baseball. Because I was like, I wonder how much, you know, like, those 100 games mm-hmm. could be stats be affected. But he's just injured a lot, getting Durant. Yeah. So, hopefully, I mean, again, that's just a scary injury that he did have. Because he's like, 15 games, like, 12 games in a row now. And it's really yeah. annoying because I'm on my fantasy careful. team. And no, I get a very it, minor, but It's a very minor injury. And he in weekly played, lineups, fantasy just... settings, the worst possible guy yeah. ever. I, I'm sure. It's yeah. like I got. That's what I drafted Kawhi with, like this third overall pick in the year he sat out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did too, actually. Shit, I was like, oh, that. great, fuck. Um, oh, it's yeah. so frustrating. I have okay. I'll go to number two. I have LeBron James. Um, Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> you knew it. You knew it. I knew it. I, I thought he was yeah. gonna say it at one. I'm really. Uh, LeBron James is the second best NBA player I've ever seen. The uh, longevity he's had over the course of his career. Um, so the way he's had teams that are not as good, and he's carried them to the finals. Meanwhile, be it in the East, um, as a father, questionable, I will say. But um, number two, LeBron James. That's all I'm gonna say. Where do you have him on your father's list? Best fathers you've ever seen. Where do, Where do you have him? Oh in, in, uh, God, Josh, don't he's, answer that. He's below don't Adrian that. Peterson. If you guys want to know that, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, no regrets josh who you are too yeah no i just gave you an underhand right there you just knocked it out of the park um all right Um, i mean this is a this is a huge moment right now in this i just said lebron's the second best player i've ever seen that yeah. should be a huge yeah, moment. I just gave him that. I could have left him off this fucking. Here's his analysis. Yeah, his longevity's <laughs> great. Questionable as a father. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> all right, number two for me, motherfucking Kobe Bryant. Um, he's fucking incredible. I mean, just the way we talk about Kobe Bryant, he's fucking magical and mythical as as a player. It's the closest thing I think we've we've had to Jordan as far as just a presence in basketball um and we talk about his 81 point game his 60 points in three quarters and then his last game it was with 60 points um just the one of the most incredible fucking players favorite basketball shoes i've ever owned also by kobe uh, also just great basketball shoes in general mm-hmm. um historically good growing up in southern california he was part he of everybody's god. childhood yeah literally god mm-hmm. um and yeah, I I have Kobe here at number two. Rest in peace, big dog. 
Number one. So I'm going to choose the questionable father, LeBron James, the best player I've ever seen for the longevity reason. But really, it was when I started watching basketball. It was really when he joined like the Heat in 2010. He was like the first passer that because I didn't watch that much basketball. I was like, holy crap, this guy. I didn't realize how good LeBron James was passing at 2010 because I thought he was just a dunking guy. And it was, made basketball really fun to watch when you're just like, holy yeah. crap, you could – the, the passing the between passing. Wade and uh, LeBron. It was so cool. It was just was different. Just, it wasn't just dunks and threes. It, I mean, it was. It was like full scientific. court it was an lobs from LeBron. It was, it was unbelievable. So uh, much fun. Yeah. Um, I have that number one. I I have Kobe. I this isn't like a bit. I mean, Kobe to me is the greatest competitor I think I've ever seen, and the only person I would say that comes close to it is like Brady. I'm keep in mind Jordan's before my time, but uh, the drive that Kobe had, the there was just he was who growing up when you practice shooting and everything you wanted to be Kobe. Kobe to me is the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. He just he was a, the definition of a killer, and I I always bring up this story because it's just the most Kobe thing ever. But in Game Seven against the Celtics that one year, he was having an off shooting night because he had a fucking broken finger or something like he always did. And the dude pulled down 17 rebounds because he's just will do whatever it takes to win. And that's he's the he's the goat that I've ever seen. Kobe. Josh. Uh, all right. So I, rest I in think peace. We go. all knew knew who's going to who's going to be. It's it's Patrick Mahomes at number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got um I got I got LeBron James here as well. Uh just those yeah, those 2013 and 14 years of the Heat, uh, the most dominant basketball I've I've ever seen by any one player. It's it's fucking incredible. The passing, the fucking defense too. He should have won that defensive player of the year award and and it's still kind of a shame he didn't to to cuz he that's the one accolade I guess he doesn't really have for MVPs. Four titles. He has the most uh, the, uh, champion finals losses too, right? True. That that is also true. <laughs> the uh, the three one Warriors against the seventy three and nine Warriors that I just praised earlier. Yeah, just fuck yourself. One of the most Josh. historic comebacks uh, ever. He's he T-bag almost single handedly. Sorry, I'll be quiet. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. The uh, the twenty fifteen finals too. He he had a good shot too. Just single handedly, just lone gunning it without. I Kevin remember Lovey that. That was crazy. Yeah, he almost he almost averaged like a forty point triple double on terrible efficiency too. For the record, but like it was it was. Ryan is calling him a loser regardless. now with his hands. Right. He said he would shut up, but he's just gonna gesture his way. Yeah, until Matthew Dellavedova was like his second or third best option besides LeBron James. I I don't like. I mean, and they still took away one or two games. What was what was it? Four two was the was series record, Brian? Do you remember? The first it's four Warriors two. Title? Four two. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, the fact they still won two games, they took wasn't they as close incredible. as you're making it seem, but whatever. Fuck and LeBron. I think as, and and last point is, I think as we learn more and more about the um the bubble, I think we're gonna f- realize that, that that is also like a historically oh victory as well. Oh. Here's the thing. Oh my God. What? What? Let him speak. Oh, Let the man speak. God. Here's the thing. A bunch of people have come out now and said, too, that just being in the bubble for three-plus months was a horrible toll to their mental state as well. Teams fell apart. The Clippers fell apart, for instance. The Clippers do that every year in the playoffs regardless if it's in a bubble. Don't even use that. 
That's fair. The Bucks fell apart too. I mean, they do that. Bucks always fall apart too. The, they lo- they the, were up three and one or three zero against the Raptors the year before, and they just lost four games in a row. Two two nothing Sorry. was the series on that one. But they, I think, the nothing. game three they went. It felt like four nothing. It was, it was it was it was they should, they had that in the bag though. I agree. But I just think the toughest teams were were the Miami Heat and arguably i think the los angeles lakers because i guess they won it too so you could say i actually but the reason why like, is they, i slightly agree with josh here I actually they, they were a unit I know what he's they, were, they were super yeah the dodgers tough that together. dodgers championship last year really like stood out among all uh world series wins i'm not talking wins. about baseball though i'm just it's i just mean the bubble the being isolated route, from huh? your family and friends that's all i do andrew <laughs> no fans or anything you live off that energy too i i just think basketball is a very well, it's a very if tough sport. One thing we should consider about what was LeBron James' son doing when he was in the bubble? Hmm. Drugs. Clean up your mess at home, LeBron, before you worry about other people. You can end it there. You can end the segment there. That's that's fair. I'll, right. I'll give you the last word. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> all right. Bronny Jr. just smoking a doobie. Daddy's playing basketball in the bubble. Hugs, not drugs, Brownie. Um, (laughs) Let's do all-star draft. So what we're going to do is we're going to take all the pool of all-stars this year for the NBA, and we're going to each draft a six-person team and give ourselves a coach. Um, What we're going to do, though, is because of injuries, Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis will not be eligible to be drafted in this, so Booker and DeMontis Sabonis will be. What we're going to do is we're going to do a snake draft. So... Josh will be one, Andrew will be two, I will be three, and we will go six players, and then um, we'll do a coach at the end, unless you guys want like to use your second pick to get a coach early, which you're supposed to do coach at the end, right? That's okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I if you guys don't have them, have the All-Stars pulled up, and um, Josh, you have the first pick in the Pineapple Couch NBA All-Star Draft. All right. Um, so, so th- we made a rule early on that we are not going to take Anthony Davis and uh, Kevin Durant, so they're off the table. Otherwise, I think Durant would be my number one. But I'm gonna go with LeBron. Let's go. Let's go, LeBron. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be running the show for me. For he wasn't team. on my big board. Feeling good. My big board. I am very happy. With this. I'm going to solidify my center proficient position. Nikolai Jokic. Ooh, Jokic. Taking the Joker. Nice. I will. So I have two picks in a row right now. Yeah. I will take Stephen Curry as my guard, and I will take Giannis as my four or five. I don't know. Fuck it. Yeah, I'll run Giannis at the five maybe. I have Steph and Giannis. I'm sorry, big dogs. You're up. But I was thinking if you have Jokic, you're probably not going to run Giannis. So I I don't know. You never know. Yes. Okay, you're up. All right. Steph and Giannis. Let's go. And you got LeBron there. Again, not worried I'll, about the parenting. Jesus Christ. That's unbelievable. I'm going to take a <laughs> single man, Luka Doncic. He doesn't have to worry about kids yet. So I don't know if that. he's single. I, th- I think he has a girlfriend, at the very, like a serious girlfriend. A, we think he doesn't have kids, so I'm going to take Luka Doncic for that <laughs> he reason. He probably doesn't have kids. He doesn't that's, have that's kids. Fair, We're not sure, though. Well, I mean, okay. he could have a yeah. couple Doncic's running around. Uh, Josh, who are you pairing with uh, him? Him. He won't even say his name. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna pick Joel Embiid here, having uh, an MVP season. Uh, I think I need to solidify that big, especially if I'm playing against you guys. So 
he can he can defend Jokic and Giannis too. So, uh, and then I have a double pick here, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna go Kawhi Leonard. Oh, nice. you bastard! You rotten and, bastard, and Josh. Yeah. yeah, my defense is gonna be absurd if if LeBron is locked in. I guess big if. Uh, Andrew, to you. All right, we are gonna go with. Um, I am going to take. Are we starting with starters? We're doing starters first, right? Or no, no, no because we're just I doing mean, six players. You can draft six. whoever you want. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew. So like, go ahead. Harden's still on the board, for instance. You know, he's a sub. So I'm gonna take. Even though Harden's there, I'm gonna take Bradley Beal. Because nice I think that's a good ass. I like Bradley Beal there, and my shooting guard, him and Luca, they get along better. Mm-hmm. Okay, I uh, I will be taking Jason Tatum, adding him to Steph Curry and Giannis, and as well as my back to back pick here, I will take Mr. James Harden. Oh, what a great pick there. Um. What was that supposed to mean? <laughs> I was going to take James Harden. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go with... Huh, how would this work out? Let's see. This might be a little controversial, but I like a big front court here. I'm going to go with Nikola Vucevic. Wow. Wow. I'm going to run a big front court here. I like yeah, it. I would have picked like Ben Simmons. Andrew's loading up on the Euros. Was, um, <laughs> but... All right. Um, fair well, enough. Andrew's I'll drafting go. an international team. Got to respect that. He is. Yeah, he wants <laughs> – you know, fair enough. Was Bradley Beal? Uh, this, oh. nah, this is my double pick. Th- this one's tough because I, one of them is going to be Dame. I'm picking Dame as, as my point guard. Um, so the question is, do I go Jalen Brown or Kyrie Irving is is kind of – is is to me the, the tough one. And I think I'm going to go Kyrie. I, I just think Kyrie's just better overall. But Brown obviously provides much better defense. He's having a great year. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go. So I'm going to go Kyrie and Dame and just Dame or uh, Kyrie off ball. So mm-hmm. reuniting Kyrie and LeBron. That's your, your full squad then. That's six, right? No, it's five. Okay. And then, uh, then we have one more okay. at the end. Big dog. I'm taking Zion. God damn it. Small forward. Here. Andrew's got a giant team. Yes, I do. All right, so bucks. Andrew takes Zion. I now am got back-to-back picks here to end my team. Hmm. What will I be doing? I will be acquiring Devin Booker as my first selection. And then after I select Devin Booker, I will be selecting tough, tough, tough. I'll take Ben freaking Simmons. It's a good pick. All right. On my bench, I don't even like this, but I'm going to take Donovan Mitchell. He's my bench player. Okay. Josh? Um. All right. So as my sixth man, I'm going to go – and and I'm gonna treat it as like a six man, as a true six man. I'm gonna go Zach Levine here, just as a spark plug. I like that pick. Um, okay, and now uh, big dog, or no, Josh, you're up for we each choose a coach. Okay. Um, all right, I'm gonna pick Spolstra. God damn it, here, Eric Spolstra. Does it have to be yeah, a current I, coach? Yes. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna pick yeah. Rick Carlisle. I, I just I like think that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I will take. going to be Jason Kidd season. for anyone that was wondering because I love Jason oh. Kidd. 
<laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. What not Scott Skiles? Um, <laughs> I will be taking, in terms of just this year, if I'm evaluating how coaches have done, my all-star coach will be Tom Thibodeau. For, I think he's done a great job with the New York Knicks. That's, that's a good pick. Good and pick. I got fucked yesterday because I gave out the Knicks as my pick. And then five minutes before the game came out, Derrick Rose had freaking COVID protocol. And then the other night, my pick, the Kings choked a nine-point lead with like 45 seconds left somehow. <laughs> well, you bet on the, you bet on the Kings. And it was limited options, oh, Josh. Funny. It was late in the day. I had to figure <laughs> out what I was going to bet on. Um, okay, so let's go through. I'll say my team. I have Curry at the one, Harden at the two, Tatum at the three, Ben Simmons at the four, Giannis at the five, with Devin Booker coming off the bench, coached by Tom Thibodeau. And Big Dog, your roster? I have Mr. Luka at the one, Bradley Beal at the two, Zion at the three, Vucevic at the four, Jokic at the five, Donovan Mitchell's on my bench, Rick Carlisle's my coach. Josh? All right. I'd swap. uh, You should probably have Jokic run the four. Actually, I don't think it really fucking matters. Nothing matters. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get kind of. Rim protection is maybe I'll make a game time decision or something. At right. you know, let us Jokic know. Jokic has actually been a really good defender this season. Actually, surprisingly, in in defensive minutes, he's he's actually one of the better players at, at the center position, which is kind of he's having such a fucking crazy year. Absolutely, he's so freaking Absolutely. good. And we talk about his his offense a shit ton, but his, yeah, I'm his defense is also pretty impressive this season too. For for as many minutes as he's playing. In in a lot of ways, I think he's having a, a more impressive season than Joel Embiid. If Joel Embiid is the front runner now mm-hmm. for, for MVP, I, I still kind of like Jokic for keeping that team afloat. Anyways, um, I have Dame at the one, Kyrie at the two, similar to how he's playing in Brooklyn. Uh, I have honestly Kawhi and LeBron are kind of interchangeable. Jesus three Christ, my team sucks. <laughs> I, I I think it's kind of it kind of doesn't really matter who oh runs the three and the four. Um, and then I've been beat at the five and then Zach Levine coming off my bench. It's probably my weakest spot there. And then I've them all coached by Spolstra reuniting LeBron with Spolstra again. Andrew, so. your team, it's just, you have two big guys, but you got to keep in mind, Luka Doncic and Beal are putting up like 30 a night each. It's in, you know, like you have also a, they're tall as shit too. So yeah. I mean, like I the, everyone on that Simmons and Giannis at him. Yeah. So it should be interesting. Um, I mm-hmm. like that. We will, I'll try to make some sort of graphic or something. We'll put Who that took, out. Who took Tatum? I did. By the way, I forgot. Did you? Ta- Tatum's yeah, my okay. three. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah. I thought that was he a He killed g- the Clippers last night. He was great. Yeah. By the way, um, just as a side note. Uh, yeah. Clippers tend to get killed quite a bit. All right. Gentlemen. I, sorry. Another ricochet shot at the Clippers. I don't know why. Maybe That's I'm fair. just in that mood yeah. because I had to give LeBron number the – I just said yeah, you one of the best players I've ever seen. A lot of animosity, I felt throughout mm-hmm. this whole thing. Oh, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how we do it here on the Pineapple Couch. Uh, <laughs> folks, stay tuned. Uh, we got Peter Gonzalez joining the program in just a few moments to be talking WandaVision, big finale this weekend. Uh, Josh, big dog, always a pleasure, my friends. Always true. Josh, you have anything left to say? No, I was going to ask about WandaVision, but then I realized that it would have been a spoiler. So then I was just going to just have a little tease, but I'll, I'll just save it. Then yeah, just, next you, know what, you know what you can do, Josh? Just stay tuned. We'll be talking all about you listen, Josh. WandaVision. All right. For sure. See you guys in a minute.
And let's get right into it, folks. We're going to be talking about Marvel. We're going to be talking about WandaVision. You know who I have here. It's my good friend, Peter Gonzalez. Peter, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about the penultimate episode. Yes. Um, for Just I want to get this out there because we were just talking about this. We, how the hell do they wrap this thing up? Especially if it's, I mean, the whole, the two hour plus rumor that was originally flowing around, I was like, okay, that gives them a, lo- a good amount of time to kind mm-hmm. of wrap things together, set things up going forward. But if you're doing a 50 minute, which is the new rumor mm-hmm. episode, how does that, how does that happen? I mean, how do we, how do, there's too much. And it's like, mm-hmm. is this just going to be one of those episodes where you're going to have to, immediately after it's over go back and watch it just because you're so breathless by the time it's over it, it could be if they pack it um that's i hope they go that route because i do want some answers because the other thing i think they might do is just leave us with a lot of cliffhangers it's like a lot that directly goes into dr strange 2 but peter dr strange 2 comes out in like oh like a year or over a year that's a long time to have those questions and it's not just like little questions it's like what is the going on is this person from this universe like it's it's giant questions about the future of the mcu that i i don't think they're gonna leave them just so open-ended but who knows so let's get into episode eight which was a a good episode a heartbreaking episode um it was kind of like uh marvel's take on a christmas carol if you will with Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, so, episode's going to start off. Oh, obviously, spoilers. <laughs> this is, <laughs> Don't I mean, listen if you have not watched. Yeah, if you're clicking, though, on an epi- uh, a YouTube link or a podcast that says WandaVision Episode 8 Review, I would hope you've seen it. But if not, this is your last warning. Um, okay, episode starts off. It's the Agatha flashback. We see her in Salem, Massachusetts. Is it like 1683, something like that? Salem Witch Trials. Yep. So, um, and she is essentially surrounded by like seven witches and she's at like the stake in the middle, you know, like if you could think into those movies, they have like, they would burn witches at the stake. It's basically that setup. And she is being accused of using or learning about dark, dark magic is kind of how I interpret it. That's outlawed. How did you, what do you think of that? No, Why do definitely- you think they were going to? Like, why are they doing this to her? Other it than reminded just reminded me of um, Doctor Strange, how her, how the Ancient One's first apprentice um, delved oh, into the magic they weren't supposed to. So purple. it gave me those kinds of vibes, and um, I, d- I think it's interesting too that it was her. It was like her coven. It was her. It was like it was witches that were basically burning her at the stake, mm-hmm. and it was her, her mom. mom. Yeah. yeah, and Which... it's like I love the line where she's like, "I can be good," and the mom was like. Yeah, that's not that's not possible because it's like how dark and evil is Agatha really then it's like, you know, mm-hmm. mom is like, there's no saving you. You're you're going to be a big problem. Yeah, well, great call by you referencing Doctor Strange. It, I always forget the name of that villain. So if you're watching this, you're probably yelling it out. But um, keep in mind, like how he goes into the dark dimension or the dark arts and it's that purple. Same as Agatha. So. Peter, what I am assuming from this is that she had the, did she have the dark hold maybe at this point? And that's where she's learning this stuff. Because I believe that what she is being accused of 
in the or why whatever dark magic she's up to and she's being accused of in the opening scene is who is like basically helping her now like who she's working for now like whether i do still think that this is a clear indication that there's a bigger bad out there that is kind of using maybe agatha as like a disciple something like that what do you think no i think so i think there's definitely Watching this episode, especially with with the fly situation, which I mean was such a like weird. Marvel's so self aware of what fans are thinking, and it's just like, nope, we're not. That's not what we're doing right now. Yeah. So I do think there is something more in play because just certain things of the lineup in the dot, whether it's the dialogue, whether it's mm-hmm. the whole Agatha all along theme song. That's like that she's messing this up for Wanda, but it's like if Wanda doesn't even know that she's fully doing these things. Mm-hmm. How is it being messed up? There's there's too much, unless she's working with Hayward. Yeah, and we'll definitely get up, get into what Hayward is up to. I thought I had an idea of who Hayward is, and now I'm, I really, truly have no idea. He might just be a government stiff, but he could be a big bad. He could be a scroll. We'll get into that. Um, so Agatha basically kills all the witches that are, like, they all shoot this magic in, at her, and then she basically uses that as a way to send all her magic out and it basically just drains the life out of all of them including her mother and then she goes off and here we are and we're back to the present day and agatha is did you notice how she talks to the bunny mm-hmm. the bunny's the, someone yeah yeah fully i mean if it's ralph if it's it's yeah. somebody there's something that bunny is maybe the bunny is Mephisto and she turned Mephisto into the bunny. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's something, something's up with that bunny. Yeah. Well, quickly on that. Remember, I think we were talking about this a week ago when I was saying like, maybe like Agatha is doing all this, like taking the power from Wanda and Dre, like the kids, all that to like, maybe bring Mephisto back to life, not back to life, but to a bigger form. I don't know. Well, we that, to go along with that, though, when she mentions the transmutation and, you know, she says how hard it is to do a simple thing like turning the fly into the bird. It's like so maybe she doesn't have the power. Maybe as far as she could get was to turn him into the rabbit and she can't get him beyond that state because she does mention the necromancy. Mm-hmm. And the rabbit's name is was Senior Scratchy. And I guess mm-hmm. Scratch can be determined as a name for the devil also, like in certain mm-hmm. literature. So, yep. There's again, there's these balls are all in the air right now. Yeah, it and it's important because I think to note how there is like a sense of jealousy from Agatha to Wanda. Oh, 100 percent. Like I've been working on this for 400 years and you just do this. It's what's the line like you're using this power to make breakfast for dinner and have magic on autopilot. Yeah. And so there's a clear jealousy. And so. What Agatha is trying to figure out this episode is she's trying to figure out how the hell Wanda did this. How did this come to be? Which was also convenient because we don't know how Wanda did this. So we're going to find out. Um, so like I said earlier, we're going to go through like a Christmas Carol type thing. Uh, ghost of girlfriends past, if you will. Um, the first time trip we're going to go on um, is we're going to go check out Wanda's childhood. The infamous, infamous night where her parents were killed. And her and Pietro sat in like a apartment, I think, for 48 hours or something next to a bomb that was ticking. So we get that whole, whole like um, 
the whole like backstory of where Wanda's from. We see her loving family. We see that they had American nights where they would um, watch American sitcoms and practice their English. Like, um, and I thought that was very touching. But Peter, the biggest thing that came out of this, because I'll, I'll go to you like in a second about what you took of all this. But did you notice how when the bomb is ticking? So we were always said that the bomb was defective. That's why it never went off in that. And they stood there hearing it. No, no, no. Young Wanda used her magic to turn that bomb off, which means she had the X gene. She had the mutant gene before the Mind Stone. That is huge, Peter. I think it definitely it speaks again to how they're able to weave in the whole X-Men mythology into this again in a way that's organic and natural because it there's the, I think there's a line we'll, we'll get to when we go into the next mm. um, scene that kind of brings that to light about how she's kind of had this all along yeah. and she's been doing that. I think what's really interesting about the whole first ghost situation, yeah. if you will, is the choice of that they watched um, the Dick Van Dyke show with a very specific episode, which is all about someone who... So I've, I've watched the Dick Van Dyke show growing up, so I'm yeah. fully aware of these things. But, like, the episode is about... So the main character gives himself the nightmare because he that he's in, and he keeps trying to wake up in the, in the episode, and he can't wake up until the very end from this nightmare, which mm-hmm. could very well play into the whole idea of WandaVision from the get-go that it's she's created this reality and she can't get out of it. So I think mm-hmm. that's a very... And the fact that they did it so specifically, like season, what it was, and episode 21, yeah. it was, there's a very specific reason why this episode was chosen as the one that they're watching. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, you, you mentioned the name Nightmare. It's like Nightmare and Mephisto. Those are the two we keep hearing of like... Every time, basically, this show... It's, it's like put us made us all incredibly paranoid because whenever we hear some sort of reference to like hell or the devil, we're like, oh, my gosh. And if we hear something about a nightmare, a bad dream, we're like, oh, my gosh. And it's so far we have no answers. But um, anything else on that first trip? My main thing with the first trip, it was just it's just heart, it's heartbreaking what you see Wanda go through. She's had just fucking shittiest life of all time. It, exactly. It's like how much can you throw at one character? I mm-hmm. did like when she meant when there there was that emphasis also on mischief and like shenanigans, like it's stuff that's not super serious that are happening, which again, I feel like plays into how she's created this world, but it's not, she's never really meant to hurt anybody or do things super serious. And then by mm-hmm. the end of the episode, everything will be okay. As she tells Pietro about the bomb, you know, she's like, it's, it's going to pass. This will pass. Mm-hmm. Good points. So the next place they go is we see, I mean, what, this is probably Wanda um, five to eight years later, I'm yeah. assuming. Um, and she's at, we're at the Stryker Hydra Labs, basically, where um, the same group that we saw at the beginning of Age of Ultron that was with Wanda and Quicksilver. And we basically hear how they keep doing these tests with Loki Scepter, a.k.a. the Mind Stone, and it's just killing everyone. Everyone's getting killed. Very bad stuff's going on. But they keep doing the human testing they want to figure it out and so wanda goes in and we see this crazy cool scene of basically the mind stone coming to her and opening up and this is what i would assume is where her powers are intensified or magnified with this exposure to the mind stone but keep in mind she did already have these powers and then maybe the coolest part of the episode is in the reflection, when that big yellow light's going on, we look at Wanda's eyes, looking at the stone, 
and we see a reflection in her eyes, and it is it's the Scarlet Witch from the comics. It's like the ultimate version of Wanda, like when she's the most powerful. So maybe that's her seeing into the future of her being like this nexus, like crazy powerful being. But that was maybe my favorite moment of the entire episode, Peter. That was unbelievable. What did you think? I it, it totally took me by surprise because I I mean I, I'd heard we'd heard the story we'd seen the glimmers in Ultron in the post credit mm-hmm. scene before and we were like okay she got her powers from the scepter but to see it like this and to see it be something that ties back into the if it is the Munich gene if it is all these things at once from when she was young that it's kind of because as, as um, Agatha tells her this would have died on the vine had you not been exposed to the Mind Stone. So I think that it really sets the tone going forward that they're really leaning into the magical aspects of certain things, which is going to obviously go out into the rest of the MCU going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this um, we're really if phase one of the MCU kind of emphasized like the Iron Man, Captain America route. Phase the new era after Infinity War Endgame is going to emphasize the Doctor Strange Wanda, we're going to get Blade, things are going to get, and we'll, I think in Ant-Man 3 we're going to see some crazy stuff as well, but let's not get off topic there. Um, anything else on this scene? Oh, one thing is that the the people watching, they like don't, they it just like the camera glitches out when like, because Wanda has this whole interaction with the stone, but the people watching from like the experiment labs just see it like glitch out and Wanda's on the ground. They don't see any of it which I thought was kind of interesting because it's kind of exactly what Wanda has been doing throughout this series or in the beginning, at least where she would, um, when the broadcast was going out to sword, she would like cut certain parts, you know? Yeah. And I think, another thing I noticed before we move on is after the whole exposure to the stone, we see her in like this holding cell and she's watching the Brady bunch again. She's mm-hmm. been through something traumatic and now she's watching comfort television again which interestingly was that specific episode with the doll, which yep. is the same doll that Vision was using when they when she was pregnant and he was practicing um, putting the diaper on it. So it's like everything that she is so tied in and interconnected. It's it that's the thing. There's Marvel is so good at having all these little Easter eggs that you zoom in, you see, and sometimes I'm like, am I why am I looking so hard into this? Am I crazy? But Time and time again, Marvel has shown that they do do these things and the interconnectivity and every it's 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 awesome to see. It is awesome to see. So third trip we go, we see the events right after Ultron, basically right before Civil War, beginning of Civil War, where um, it's at the Avengers compound. And uh, we really see one of the first big time interactions between Vision and Wanda. Um, Wanda is watching uh, Malcolm in the Middle. I believe. And uh, she basically is just grieving from the loss of Pietro. Vision tries to help. And she basically says, all I want to do is to be able to see him. And then we um, a very, very, very great line comes from Vision. Just Paul Bettany. I guess this is, I would say, the beginning of their relationship. But correct me if I'm wrong about the line. But he basically says to Wanda about her grief, saying, what is grief but not love over achieving? Right. I thought it was persevering. Love persevering. Yeah, you're right. Um, And I thought that that's a great line because that's something not only does that apply to Wanda in that moment in a a, uh, end of Ultron or whatever. 
but it applies to Wanda right now of what she's going through. So her going to see that again, I think that um, I think that that will be important because I think Vision's going to have to die. And I think she's going to yeah. she's going to need to be able to somewhat be able to handle that grief and feel I don't know. Maybe it all just goes to hell. But uh, what else <laughs> there, did you get from this scene? There was an interesting line when she's talking about the grief, how it feels like waves. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like earlier when Monica was talking about her grief, she kind of says that it's also, it was like waves. And again, there is that connection that Monica understands to a degree what she's going through. Mm-hmm. Which is why Monica was able to reach her in the glimmerous moments that she's been able to. Like, there is that shared experience, which I mm-hmm. think is so interesting because you these you're supposed to be superheroes that are like, you know, indestructible and go through everything, but at the end of the day they do have real emotions that they are dealing oh, with. Yeah. And that's why I think people connect to these shows so much. Because again, this show is about grief. It is. It's all about how to deal with the loss of something or someone that you love and how it's okay to be sad and to deal with the consequences. But it is better than to push them away or make an alternate reality where none of them are there for sure. Um, And so the next part we go to is uh, pretty immediately Agatha takes Wanda to the sword headquarters from where earlier in the show we saw Hayward shared the footage where it really seemed that Wanda broke into the sword headquarters and stole Vision's body, antagonized the people there, was like somewhat of a threat. And we find out that that is some BS. That is all not true. Basically what happens, Wanda shows up. She's trying to talk to, she goes to the like front desk and is being nice. And is like, please let me go see Vision. And Peter, before we get more into this, it just seems like this was a trap laid by Hayward to get Wanda to come, doesn't it? Yeah, this was this was such a setup. I mean, the fact that like he answered, the, like he called the front desk and was like, yo, let her in. And mm-hmm. the fact that this is like literally days after Tony Stark's funeral. This is mm-hmm. days after the giant battle of Endgame. Yeah. This is the, the blip. She's literally just come back into reality, mm-hmm. too. Like, she's been just gone. Yeah. So, like, along with like half the population, they just didn't exist. Yeah. And, and so, so it's, there's a yeah, lot on her. Yeah. Head. And so she, and it's just like thing after thing of Hayward I, trying to trigger Wanda, essentially. Because the other thing, Pierre, they've had Vision's body for like five years, right? Yeah. So Wanda goes in and she starts to talk to Hayward and Wanda wants the body. But basically Hayward's like, you can't bury three billion dollars worth of vibranium. And what was really interesting to me is the way Hayward was like proudly displaying the way they were just like recklessly cutting vision up, pulling him apart, definitely meant to trigger Wanda, because what I think, and this is pretty obvious, is that Hayward is couldn't reboot the Vision. And so what he wanted to do was have Wanda have a freak out and with all her power, reboot the Vision. And it didn't work then, because what we find out, Peter, is that everything Hayward did was a lie. Wanda didn't steal Vision. Wanda sadly says, I don't feel you. When she goes up to him, which is basically, they always say, like, didn't Vision and Wanda say, I just feel you, that sort of thing. Call back to Infinity War, yep. Yep. And um, she sadly just kind of goes on her way, does not antagonize anyone. Hayward, though, in the meantime, like, 
was telling his troops stand down and was like watching eagerly. And we see Wanda just leaves. So what did you take from all that? What stood out to me was, so he, I was like, you can bring your, their soulmate back online, or excuse me, back to life, which again, kind of in my mind connects him to Agatha because Agatha wanted her to bring back Sparky. I mean, but no, it wasn't Sparky. Was it? It was. Was it Sparky? Is that his name? Yeah, Agatha was. It wasn't even that she wanted her to bring back Sparky. It was that moment where the kids asked, and Agatha was like, "You can bring people back to life." Like, and that seems like a real moment. Like, so I think mm-hmm. that's great because maybe Hayward and Agatha could be working together because maybe they're both trying to get the vision online. But also maybe Agatha's trying to get someone else back to life. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was it also it's like again this scene was just like I mean this whole episode is like Elizabeth Olsen needs an Emmy award by the by next She's year gonna, like it's, she has to get it it's unbelievable it's impossible to not the range of emotions in this it's like it's this is quality television. yeah and I think one thing that about this show that has been underrated was obviously it did start a little bit slow with the eras and like the period pieces they did I mean but that was some of the best acting we saw from Elizabeth Olsen, the way she could click in and out of being in a, a 50s housewife to a, a, the Scarlet Witch, essentially. Um, yeah, she's just been incredible. She's been incredible. And so she leaves, and we see the most heartbreaking thing, that Vision bought her a property at some point. Who knows when he bought this, because I don't know when he would have been able to, but he bought her a property in Westview, New Jersey, and it was... a. Uh, it wrote, a place to grow old with a heart, love V, I believe is how it was signed. Yeah. And Wanda drives to Westview. We see many of the characters from the sitcom or the bubble, their real versions. And um, one thing that immediately jumped out to me, Peter, is that this is one of the first times I think we're seeing the damage that the snap has done to like smaller towns and stuff like this. Because if you think about even just like the last year of normal life with Corona and how stuff is shut down and some restaurants haven't been able to, this is like the first glimpse of like, obviously we know like, yes, it it was heartbreaking to lose people in the snap, but this is like kind of our first look at like the economic, you know what I mean? It's like, this is like a wasteland. Is that what, did that jump out to you? No, it totally did. It was like, cause it didn't look like a normal small town would have looked to me. Mm -hmm. It didn't have that upbeat, happy vibe. It had that. We've been through some stuff. Mm-hmm. situation i thought the last time we did see something like that was when um ant-man wakes up and, the, and he's in yeah. the storage unit and then he runs and it's like there's like trash and there's like posters and stuff so i think but this was like small town america this is where you don't expect to like you don't see it in the movies so often and you see yeah but this is nice that again the movie's saying the snap wasn't just Super here nice. it was fully reaching mm-hmm. and so she drives through the town she gets to the property and she's just overcome with grief. And she has like a meltdown, I would say. She starts crying. And it's very reminiscent of Age of Ultron when yes. um, Pietro dies. Very, but times a billion somehow <laughs> because it just, she essentially, I don't know how to describe it. it. She just like explodes and like all these waves of red just shoot out and she create, you see the, the hex expanding. And you see it turning buildings from modern to 1950s. Black and white. Black and white. And then you see this. It's all the red magic doing this. And then you see this yellow magic that's reminiscent of the Mind Stone create vision. 
And we're basically at the beginning of episode one after she creates all that. And uh, I just, I guess, Peter, the, the, it's huge how she created Vision. Because that is, we talk about her being a Nexus being, and that's someone who can create realities and stuff. And she was able to literally create vibranium. She was being able to recreate this Mind Stone. It doesn't, it isn't able to exist maybe outside of this bubble, but the fact she was able to do that is otherworldly powerful insane. That is, like, it cannot be understated. That's the most powerful thing I think we've seen in the entire MCU. Yeah. Thanos looks like nothing compared to this. Like, this was just... It was so... And the fact that it was so emotion-driven, too. Like, it was something that it was... Again, maybe this does speak to the fact that she is, you know, losing it, in a sense. But she was able to create this sanctuary outside of a television set Mm -hmm. and bring it into reality, which explains why each time things start to get weird in an episode like one, two, three, she would just change it to a further, and this is the next step, the next show mm-hmm. she watched to feel better when yep. things were not going well. Mm-hmm. And it, is, it just, what this uh, episode also did was just a reminder. So you, it's good how you see how she creates the bubble, but it just, the f- four back to back, just all these heartbreaking tragedies that happened to her really lead up to this. And, um, now we're back. We're back. We're back in normal time. Agatha is realizing, like, shit, you've been through all this trauma, but we don't really know how Agatha's feeling until we hear the kids screaming. Wanda runs outside, and she has the kids hostage by some sort of, like, weird purple string rope. Um, and she calls, for the first time in the MCU, she references Wanda's chaos magic. And then she also calls Wanda the Scarlet Witch for the first time in the MCU. What was your reaction to that? It was one of the... It was up there with um, Cap catching the hammer. Like, I definitely think it was up there. I think mm-hmm. it had that same level of, like, we are... We're going there. We're going to actually... The bar has been raised. This is going to get... This is, It was setting up a finale that I don't know how... It's going to do what it's going to do, but it's obviously this episode is proof it can. Just, mm-hmm. just And just also just the way that they had Agatha look even older, like from ep- the beginning of the episode with the flashback to like how she was in WandaVision mm-hmm. to the older. It's just like everything is just slowly starting to come together. Mm-hmm. So I question to you really quick before we go to the post credit scene is do we think that uh, reflection we saw in Wanda's eyes in the second trip they made? Are we going to see that next episode? Is that is she going full Scarlet Witch next episode, and that's what she will look like? I think so. I think that if she's gonna have to, she's gonna. I think it's gonna be if she's gonna. If I hope she's battling Agatha. Mm-hmm. I hope that's a thing. I hope. So my hope for the I guess the last episode is that she is gonna become the Scarlet Witch fully, and that's mm-hmm. gonna happen because she has to in order to beat Agatha because Agatha apparently is also pretty powerful. Yeah, and um. I do think it will be interesting because we didn't see Monica or Pietro this episode. That Oh, it is important to reference that uh, Agatha does call him fake Pietro and says that she's been, like, controlling him. She didn't necessarily bring him here, but she's been controlling him. Isn't that what you got that from that? I did, but that also makes me wonder, because Wanda says she didn't bring him here either. Yeah. So nobody brought me, 
fake Pietro here. Apparently, somebody did, but n- neither of them are taking credit for it. Yeah, I'm I'm super confused on how that. Well, there is one person who could have maybe done it. It's like Wiccan. That's true. Remember, he asks about her brother and how he's so far away, and, and he, he just... obvi- maybe he plucked because she he has crazy powers like that. I don't know. Um, Post credit scene, we get uh, we see Hayward, our boy Hayward, the douchebag he is. Um, he is talking about how they could never reboot the vision. They tried hundreds and thousands of times and eventually all they needed was a little of Wanda's magic. So that drone that they sent in to shoot at her and the kids that she then walked out and sent with her magic out back at them. They used that, the magic from that, uh, drone to reboot vision or a new vision. And holy shit, it is the white vision. And that is what Hayward will be launching at the bubble. So we got to assume, Peter, we're getting a bubble vision versus white vision. What was your, I mean, what what's your take on this? What do you think is going to happen? Because I just want to say, like, really quick, is it Ultron? I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, that would be quite the connection to tie it back to Age of Ultron to be mm-hmm. like, he still exists out there, and we brought him now into this new vessel, which uh-huh. was his ultimate goal in the beginning. Was he wanted that was supposed to be his body? And they yeah. mentioned that Darcy mentions that when she's talking to Vision, I think episode six or seven, mm-hmm. that you know he was going to be in that body, which is Ultron's creation. Yeah, so there's a lot of a little quick reference point for everyone out there. The White Vision is in the comic books, but it, he's not a bad guy. So basically, what happens is something similar to what has happened. Vision gets put back together. And he's the white vision, but he's put back together by, like, the Avengers, not bad people. And so when he comes back, he is not his, like, red and purple green or whatever. He is all white, and he has no memories of the past, and he has no emotions. He's so—he's an emotionless robot because Vision, I guess he was kind of supposed to be that, but he developed these personalities and passion and grief and all that sort of stuff. So— um He's not necessarily a bad dude in the comic books, the White Vision. He just has no idea and doesn't remember anyone. But I do think he's going to go in and fight Vision, don't you? Like, it's we got a huge showdown going on. I totally feel like it's going to be him versus Bubble Vision versus White Vision, Wanda, and maybe the kids versus Agatha. I feel like we're going to get um, Pietro, Peter, Pietro, whatever we end up calling him. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a scene similar to the great scene, one of the few great scenes in the X-Men movies, so where the Sweet Dream se- se- yeah. se- sequence where he runs around saving everybody. I feel like that might need to be the case. Like, get everybody out of Westview, get something along those mm-hmm. lines, because they're, or we're going to get an even bigger bad that's going to show up, and it's just going to be like what is yeah. happening? I think um, I'm definitely subscribed to the, th- like, we'll get to this question I have is like, is Pietro from the Fox universe? That's what everyone's talking about. I think he is. I don't understand why you would bring him in like this for him to not be, especially when your, your new movie coming out in a year is multiverse of madness and you just acquired these rights. Um, I think that this is the Fox universe. And I do not think when he saw Monica and was like, Snooper's going to snoop. I did not think that was a bad thing. I think he and Monica are going to work together in, I think, yes, we are going to see a sweet, we better see a sweet dream scene. I actually rewatched Days of Future Past last night. And obviously, that slow mo scene isn't as good as the sweet dream one because that's just iconic. But that dude, he's so great in those movies. So I really hope he stays around. And if you're mentioning the big bad, like if there is a bigger bad than Agatha, 
that explains why there's so many good guys in the bubble then. Because if it's Wanda and the kids and Quicksilver and Monica and Vision versus Ad- Agatha, it's kind of like, okay, well, they should, they should be able to take that. But if there's a bigger, you're going to need all the guns. And um, can I ask you a question? Of course. Do you think it's Fox Universe, Pietro? Oh, 100%. I, since day one, I fully bet on that theory. I'm sticking to that theory till the end till they tell me that it's that it's not the case but i feel like it has to be it, it, may, to it doesn't be. it make zero sense to it, yeah it was like unless it, that's too much fan service to be like here's this actor playing the, the character no it's like you got these movies you have them now why not bring everything together especially if the spider-man rumors are true it's like you have to you can't just it's you have to be able to have that character in here and that character in the the quicksilver in the fox movies is seriously such the vibe that is the Marvel movies. It makes sense. Yeah, and I it would be a huge miss to let him go, and I I would be shocked if he is not the like I actually would be shocked because I just think Kevin Feige always knows what's going on, and I know I don't think he would plan this because I think he would be like this would kind of piss people off because we're about to introduce the X Men, and now they're just not going to trust us. I don't think that's the way to the best way to start with the X Men in the MCU. Um. Question to you, Peter. We're talking about these big fights, all these players we have. I mean, do you think we're going to see Strange, Doctor Strange next episode? I think we will. I think it has to. I think he has to be the bridge that brings us yep. to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That is quite the title. I think he's going to be the one that brings it. I think it's it's needed. I feel like the fact that these events are happening so quickly together in the timeline of Marvel it, ha- it only makes sense that while Far From Home is happening, that Wanda is somewhere with Doctor Strange, like, yeah. or something is going on, because everything is still connected. So there has to be, they can't not have it have some significance if it doesn't impact the future movies. Mm-hmm. And here's a theory for you of kind of how I think it will go down is I think we may lose vision, but. The fight between Agatha, maybe Monica, Pietro, they're gonna, I think, gonna win that. Right? And then that will cause whatever is behind Agatha to come out and it'd be like, oh crap, this is a huge villain. And that's when Doctor Strange shows up. Because I agree, you cannot, I mean, I guess you can, but you really have to have Strange show up at the end of this. Cause you it's gotta directly lead into multiverse of madness. And it's just also a type of thing, Peter, where if we're supposed to, we know this world, right? We know Marvel. We know it's all connected. How the hell could this be going on and Doctor Strange not be doing anything? Because you know he would know about it and you know he would do something. And there's no Captain America or Tony or Natasha, but all three of them would have done something too. And so it is Doctor Strange kind of who is the one to do it. I mean, I guess Hawkeye is friends with Wanda, but I don't think he could sense it. Don't you think Doctor Strange has to know this is going on? I think so, and I think he's necessary in order to further strengthen and develop Wanda as a Scarlet Witch, because as was evident here, she didn't know half the things she was doing, according to Agatha, and she was doing these spells and whatnot, but didn't know how to control them necessarily. Mm-hmm. So either maybe it ends that Wanda goes mad and she gets lost in the Multiverse of Madness, and that's what happens, or and he has to come find her, or something has to happen where these there's a, there's a connection, because mm-hmm. something has to be happening at the same time that Far From Home is happening that's not impacting Far From Home and allows it to happen, 
but at the same time still connects it back at the end of yeah. Far From Home. Yeah, I think we could be in some sort of situation, and I think you've hinted at this, and you might have actually said this last week, but where the end of this is going to be like, Doctor Strange and Wanda are going to go into the multiverse of madness to find someone, to get someone, whether that be the children, whether that be Pietro. I think that that is because I, I think there's got to be a reason for them to go into the multiverse of madness. And you, what you just said of maybe Wanda gets lost. I think it's the two of them together going to get something, but I could be wrong. I like that. I like that idea where they're going to get something that's necessary for what's coming. Mm -hmm. And then, um, will you, do you think we're going to see the aerospace engineer? We got to. Right? I mean, there's so many of these things. It's like, why did you have 10 lines about it then? Yeah, it's, I mean, it would be, at least if we, hit, we get a name for the aerospace engineer, we get a something. I think there needs to be, even if we just hear that Reed Richards exists out there in the world, like, I just need some kind of confirmation that there is there was a reason that that name was brought up so often, like you just said. Did you see the Boyega theory? I did. I did. I would not be surprised because he's doing um, very well right now as an uh -huh. actor. So, I mean, he just won a Golden Globe the other day. So, that I feel be, like... I'm not going to get too deep into that because I don't want to spoil that. I just... Boyega has been rumored to maybe show up. I'm not going to say in what role, but maybe he could be the engineer. And I think that what, what adds fuel to that is that he was in Star Wars... Disney owns Star Wars. Mm -hmm. it's, it's considered that he was given a disservice in Star Wars. You know, he got the not the greatest end of the deal. So oh, I yeah. mean, they should just mm -hmm. get rid of those Star. They just uh, it's tough. They just screwed him so hard. So it would be interesting to see if he's like, well, you know, come over here and we will give you a good deal. I mean, mm -hmm. Marvel seems like the place to go if you want to improve your career. Yeah, and I think he would. I mean, we're talking about. I think you you referenced earlier how Evan Peters fits into the MCU. I mean, John Boyega's style, his comedic timing, and that's that. He totally fits into the MCU. And I saw something where someone was like, oh, I don't want Marvel and Star Wars to cross over. Or it's, well, sorry, uh, freaking Poe Dameron, that guy is going to be Moon Knight. Yeah, it's so already it, happening. It's going to happen. And, um, okay, final time we are going to, we're going to do some final predictions here, Peter. Okay. I know you. we're going to go down with the ship with our theories. I know I'm going to do that, and I know you're going to do that, so I respect you for that. Who is helping at? Who is the big bad? You can go first. I, I want to say Mephisto. I feel like it makes sense that it's Mephisto. I feel like the fact that they've got the Eternals coming up, I feel like that also plays into the Mephisto aspect of it. I feel like we need a big bad that's going to be bigger than Thanos that, you know, has that same menacing presence that reaches out through the entire galaxy, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I feel like there has, it has to, it would make sense mm -hmm. to be Mephisto. I would bet, I would put it on Mephisto. Okay. I am going, I still think there's a big bad out there. I am kind of more now. I kind of might think it might be Nightmare. And here's why. Nightmare is all about dreams. And this Wanda thing is kind of like, if you mentioned the Dick Van Dyke show, it's all about you're in a bad dream and you want to wake up. And the other reason that I think Nightmare is very possible is because we've had both Nightmare and Mephisto references. They're, they're messing with us. If we're going by the comic book route, it is Mephisto. 
They've said Nightmare so many times. And Nightmare was rumored to be the villain in Doctor Strange 2. Like, that was... I know Scott Derrickson left, who was going to direct that or wrote that. I I don't know if they just completely wrote a new script, though. I, I That's why... I'm right... I don't know. It's Nightmare and Mephisto. I will lean Nightmare, but... I, it just is. It's got to. I'm. It has to be someone, though. I know it's someone. I don't think it's just Agatha. I'm confident enough in that. I think it's. I would. It's got to be Nightmare or Mephisto. I would be shocked if it's anyone else. And what? I'm gonna get this fucking clipped, and I'm gonna be totally wrong, and it's gonna be someone else. But I'm obviously not that confident in that. But I um. I am going to say that it is Nightmare. So let's talk about that then. We're talking. What do we think the final cameo will be? Do we think it'll be that big bat or do you think it'll be something else? So I have my brain honestly will hurt when I start going down the cameo route because I, I thought it all. I've seen it all. I have seen because it's, there's the whole thing that um, Elizabeth Olsen said, you know, it's a Luke Skywalker level cameo. Uh, Paul Bettany has said it's someone he's wanted to act with for forever. Oh, can we also really to. quickly acknowledge that Paul Bettany might have been trolling all of us about acting with an actor who and it was him himself so the that's white what i was gonna say i think that's <laughs> highly possible though what dist has set out to me today and it might not necessarily be like an mcu level type cameo but i feel like because this show has been built on sitcoms and it's the whole idea of sitcoms throughout the whole thing what kind of stood out to me was the significance they made of the dick van dyke show in this episode so i almost feel like maybe dick van dyke is gonna make a cameo because okay. he consulted on the first, I think, three episodes for M- oh, Marvel really? Marvel. Because they were like, how, do, how did you do this back in the day? Tell us. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would be playing, say, Mephisto or Nightmare. Because he is 97, yeah. 98. So he's got a very full life. Like a Stan Lee type thing. I think, yeah. Because they don't have the Stan Lee cameos mm-hmm. sadly anymore. So I feel like he could play that. He could play a role as one of the Chaos Magic elders. I mean, I think there's a True. lot of potential where that could be a cameo. But I don't know. Okay, I got a I got a, a wild prediction here. Let me hear it. The Luke Skywalker esque reveal. So we're thinking someone big. Well, what if it's Luke Skywalker? Hear me out. In the animated Marvel show that went on for forever, that was incredibly successful. Nightmare was in it. Mark Hamill voiced Nightmare. Mark Hamill has been rumored for the last 10 years to maybe be a Nightmare-type villain or something like that in the MCU. What if the final Luke Skywalker-esque reveal is Mark Hamill Nightmare? I think that would be insane. I think, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't get it out of my. That's why I went to Nightmare, is because I, I remember that he was the voice, and it's this Luke Skywalker esque reveal. I mean, if I could have anything, I want Michael Fassbender Magneto. But that's what I don't know. What do you think of that? I like. I really like that because I feel like he is someone who definitely enjoys um, acting. Still, I feel like he enjoys the mm-hmm. roles. He had he had a small arc on the CW's The Flash for a bit, playing a uh, the toy maker. So he's definitely he was Star Wars. I mean, he came back for Star yeah. Wars. So. He's definitely still involved. And it's the kind of person, kind of actor you would want for these kind of roles mm-hmm. because it also crosses generations. It, again, it's, 
universe connecting in a sense. It's if they end WandaVision by bringing Mark Hamill to the MCU and it's on like they they just start Disney Plus off with such a bang. That's insane. I would not. That wouldn't surprise me. I would be like, bravo. I mm-hmm. applaud this decision. I think it's again, it's I don't know. I mean, there's the final episode is supposed to be insane. Mm-hmm. I also I have a theory of one of the post credit scenes. I think we will see J. Jonah Jameson get put into this universe. Because he's there in Spider-Man Far From Home. That happens after this. I wouldn't be surprised. Because it does tie into Spider-Man. We keep hearing how this ties into Spider-Man. WandaVision, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange. I wouldn't... Because I don't think Spider-Man's going to show up or anything like that. But I do think some sort of reference to like, hey, this WandaVision did affect that Spider-Man Far From Home movie. They might do something like that. I can do that. That's a small way that it affected it without fully making it like, oh, we took over the whole plot with it. Mm-hmm. Um, 50 minutes. Any other, like, what, any other things we need to get out there before we wrap this up? Um, well, obviously, we're going to be doing a recap. We might even do, if you're down, a recap a little earlier next weekend um, to get that out to the good people who are watching. But uh, any final thoughts? I mean, obviously, we both love this series, and we'll give our final thoughts on it as a whole next week. But going into this finale, what you got? I think going into the finale, I think the structure of the show, the one episode a week, has served it so well. I think it has really allowed the show to breathe, and it really it opens itself up to rewatching. Like I definitely rewatch each episode at least oh, yeah. three times, just yeah. to fully you get something more each time. So I think when we don't have theaters, we have it here in our homes. You know, it's like this is the type of show you want to watch. This is the type of storytelling they needed. Really, if they wanted to make streaming work, they needed this kind of show to really set the tone. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, Bucky and the Winter uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be wildly different to, in tone wise. But I think yeah. this is, show... that's more traditional MCU. This broke. This was uh, Marvel. I mean, they always know what to do. This we said. We said this last week. But the fact that they took Vision and Wanda and made this show break Disney Plus basically every time it comes out. That's so annoying when that happens. It's so annoying. I have to start the episode at like 12.07. It's like, come on, I'm ready. Even Um, the next day, too, there's like like little glitches in the screen when you're trying to watch it because the whole world is trying to watch this. mm -hmm. Which is crazy because, again, I'm a comic book nerd. I love superheroes. I'll watch anything. But Vision and Wanda are so far down on this list. I mean, they've obviously risen because this has been so incredible. Um, One last thing I I don't – I'm very curious of how they wrap up the X-Men aspect of this because that mutant thing is obviously on everyone's mind and what they say at the end of this is going to basically establish the baseline for what we know about mutants. I think, I mean, I don't think we're going to see mutants in, uh, we might see a mutant in Falcon winter soldier. I don't know, but don't you think they have to make some sort of statement about mutants? I guess like, not a statement, yeah. but give us something. I mean, it, there's, there's always a possibility, you know, she just blows up the hex and it envelops the entire world, and boom, there we have units born. Yeah, because this this show is based on a lot of comic books, but one of them is House of M. And at the end of House of M, Wanda basically melts down and says, no more mutants. And, like, all the mutants go away. So we, we could look at maybe a reverse version of that. Mm-hmm. I think one thing, though, at least how I, I haven't I haven't 
been thinking of like, oh, what if Wanda loses? I've been thinking about that enough. And I think that that could be a possibility. Not like she gets killed or anything, but that right. makes her like expand it even more, like you were saying, or make the universe like, yeah, go the kids crazy. Die, everything's yeah. dead. And she's just literally like, here, we're throwing every possible grief we you can get mm-hmm. as a person on you. And, I, I, and it also, like, I'm thinking about it right now. We've been talking about this show now for a couple weeks on the pod, but texting about it, obviously. I would guess, I guess I'd just be really surprised if it has a happy ending. I think there's going to be closure. I don't think it'll necessarily be happy. I think it's going to be more of those, again, similar to the ending of Endgame, where it's like, mm-hmm. if you can breathe a little bit, but you're kind of left with kind of like mixed yeah. feelings but of grief. Is Wanda maybe, okay, so let's say she is able to handle her grief if she loses vision and she accepts that. I don't know about her kids, though. Yeah, I don't think she can lose the kids. I don't think that's something that's going to be helpful for her. I don't think... I mean, I think the kids are instrumental if we are going to pursue the Young Avengers in the future, which Marvel has hinted at. So I mm-hmm. feel like they wouldn't just create them and, like, surprise, we're taking them away. I feel like maybe I think. they're going to grow... Maybe they'll grow up quicker by the end of the episode, too, of the finale. We see them as teenagers by the end of the episode. Yeah, because they're stressed out, and so they do mm-hmm. that thing again. It's a good point. Um, So much, so much to talk about here. Um, Peter... Anything else before we wrap up? I think um, just we next talk week, about this for four hours. We honestly could. We keep finding more things and more things we could yeah. say. But I just feel like the next episode is really gonna. It's wild. I'm excited to see as a as a consumer what Funko Pops get released because oh, yeah, I saw that they're releasing the Agatha and the White Vision ones are coming out soon. I saw I that announcement today. My guy's gonna show up. You know, you have Doctor Strange. I have. Where are they? I have my black and white. Oh, that is freaking sweet. I got those. Oh, I like those a lot. I got the Ragnarok Hulk, too. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, he's dope. Um, And I got a big Thanos one. Yeah, I'm a nerd, and I'm proud of it. A bunch of them, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Loki's coming out June 11th. We're just having an abundance of riches over here. We are going to be fans. Looking at zoomed in photos and slowed scenes of Marvel shit for like the next five years. So, and at this point, we might get a movie come May. So, I mean, hopefully, I would love that. And then, I mean, down the line is Shang Chi, where you would assume we might see some mutants as well. Um, all right, we'll be back next week, everyone. Uh, episode nine, it's like one of the biggest Marvel events since Endgame. I feel like I'm really excited. It's great to have Marvel back. Um, and yeah. Peter, a pleasure as always. This has been a lot of fun. Talk to you next week.